You are now tuned into anything potable. The most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital. Like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through. So tell me why you mad. Welcome to Anything is Potable! Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan. I'm joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend, Celtics beat reporter himself from the Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen. And it is the day after the conclusion of the Boston Celtics regular season. They won 57 games. And before we dive into breaking down what's going to happen in the first round of the playoffs, before we even know who the Celtics will be playing in the first round of the playoffs. Jay thought it was a good idea, and I agreed with him to do a, you know, a time to reflect, a time to look back on the 82 games that were and just kind of this wild Celtic season that started off with the surprise suspension of Ime Udoka, uh, Bazooka Joe Missoula coming in and kind of just being a, a wild card of a personality all year. And then this team playing just pretty consistently good basketball for the majority of the year. I guess, Jay, what's your biggest uh, takeaway, theme, story, something that sticks out the most when you think about the 2022-2023 regular season? I mean, the the most – I, I would say – the thing that stands out to me the most is that the biggest thing that happened to the Celtics has rarely been discussed for months because of how well they've played for the most part. Um, the Ime Odoka thing was just so enormous, so crazy, so poorly timed right before the regulars or the training camp began and left the Celtics in a place that could have been just so difficult to navigate and probably was from the inside. But Joe Mazzulla took over. He navigated things the right way. The players all stayed committed and focused on playing good basketball. They got off to a 21-5 and five start, kind of coasted for parts of the regular season, finished out really strong. And now here they are at the end of the regular season with the second-ranked offense, the second-ranked defense, the best net rating in the league. And are, if not the title favorites, one of the very small list of title favorites as the playoffs arrive. So that would be like my biggest takeaway um, is just like they handled that all well enough that the Ime Udoka thing became sort of a footnote to this season instead of the most important thing that happened to the team all season. It's very wild that they played their best basketball in the immediate aftermath of that like you mentioned the 21 and 5 start but that's when their offense was just phenomenal and there was Jason Tatum MVP buzz and they were shooting ridiculous percentages from three and sure everything came back down to earth a little bit but just I don't know if it was like they felt like they needed to lock in more because of the Ime Missoula situation or there was like a lot of that sting from losing the finals the year before. Some would probably argue it's a combination of both, but I think that's just the biggest shock is that like the Celtics were playing their absolute best basketball after the thing that you would think this would disturb them the most. And so um, I think another interesting thing from that is like they, that stretch of the season was so important to them. I don't want to say, 
coasting at the end of the season. Cause I, um, but they definitely like gave themselves a lot of wiggle room and a lot of leeway where they could have that kind of stretch where they were not playing great basketball. They could deal with some injuries. Like when Marcus Smart went out there, the, the offense definitely took a hit. Uh, but they just gave themselves such a big margin for error by starting out 21 and five that they allowed themselves to, you know, work through, through some things. And I do think that's something that's been impressive about how they've been playing over the last, I don't know, two or three weeks is it feels like they've really had an ability to refocus and re come together and lock in is specifically on the defensive end. Like they just don't, in comparison to last year, they don't feel like as dominant of a defense as they had last year, but to just for them to be what top two or top three defense in the league right now is just very impressive to me, especially in the context of yeah, they finished second in defensive rating, which is wild. Like, I don't think watching this team this entire season, you're like, they have the second best defense in the league. Like, it's just compared to last season, but that's what made this team, I guess so good and, and why they finished with the second best record. And it's thing, the thing that I've been impressed with over the last two and a half weeks, it's like, I, with the caveat, it's like has to be but them playing a report, opponent they respect. But when they respect their opponent, they have really locked in and really have played phenomenal defense. And that's just something that I didn't necessarily think they could get to, um, especially when they were just like blowing teams out earlier in the year. The defense was never that great. But now they're kind of firing on both cylinders, offense and defense. And that's something Missoula talked about, like at the end of his the last press conference, like being a balanced team. I just been impressed by their ability to kind of like excel on both ends of the court, uh, and that's just definitely not something I, I anticipated. Uh, kind of in the when they were in the doldrums in, in February and January. Oh yeah, and, and part of the mediocre defense at times was just Robert Williams missed fifty five games. No, that's not right. He missed 47 <laughs> games. 47 games. He missed substantially more than half of the regular season. Only played 824 minutes this season, which was barely more than Luke Cornett. Um, about 500, about 400 minutes less than Sam Hauser played. So, and he's a huge piece, obviously, of their defense. Not only that, but, you know, last year, they almost always played big. and at least when they started making their run, it was they started Robert Williams and Al Horford. If Robert Williams wasn't available, they brought in Daniel Tice. Um, they were, it was just like almost always playing big. And now they've been small a lot more often. Part of that is because of Robert Williams' injury stuff. But part of it is just because they're better at playing small now. They have Derek White at a totally different level than he played last season. They have Malcolm Brogdon, who's changed what they can do off the bounce and how many guys they have who can hurt you off the bounce and get into the paint and and create offense for the team. Um, and then with Sam Hauser, he's just another guy who can shoot. Grant Williams obviously had an up-and-down season, but I think they'll need to rely on him in, in the playoffs. And for parts of the season, they could rely on him. Um, just feels like part of the the defensive stuff was just Robert Williams wasn't there. And part of it was they needed to refocus, uh, especially after the all-star break. It was like, <laughs> they, they, they did not seem to give a fuck for a while. Uh, that was a, 
very lackadaisical team for a while. And I think it started at the top of the roster. It was Jason Tatum. It was uh, some of their other starters who just weren't locked in at that time. But the last 10 games kind of felt like the end of last season did where, like you said, it's, it was both ends of the court. It was offense. It was defense. It was when guys were out, they were still playing the same brand of basketball, which is obviously a big deal. Um, and then I think if you look at the numbers, like when the, Robert Williams and Al Horford were on the court together, they were still an incredible defensive team just like they were last season with those two guys in the court. Now, obviously, the starting lineup from last season only played 81 minutes together, which is crazy when you think of how well they played this season, uh, still finishing with the top in net rating. Like, the force that drove them last season was barely a part of their identity at all. Um, and And I think there are questions about how they'll play during the playoffs, but but I do think they just have different options now that they weren't fully comfortable with last season. Even like Derek White last season in the playoffs, for example, when they went small with him against the Warriors, it was just bad. Like He, he wasn't ready for it. Um, he lost confidence, seemed to lose confidence at least. He was a major net minus over the last six, five games of the finals. And... This year, he was just awesome. They're like Derek that's, White's emergence was a huge story from this season. That's the thing I wanted to focus on next is like the you mentioned them being that much better at playing smaller and playing with only one big. Obviously, having adding Malcolm Brogdon to that um, presumptive sixth man of the year uh, is a huge kind of uh, addition of just him being able to come in and run the second team offense and him being able to dribble, penetrate, and generate a lot of things that way. But Derek White, I don't think anyone's talked about him for most improved player. And obviously, like, Laurie Markkinen exists, and I don't actually – it would be extreme homer bias to say Derek White should win the award. But if we're just looking at – limiting it to, like, the Celtics roster, I had no idea Derek White was this good. Like, I was pretty impressed with him last year on the defensive end. I thought he did a very good job of – playing on-ball defense, like I thought he was the best at like uh, chasing Steph Curry around. But I had no idea he had this much offensive game. And just and just in terms of scoring, like I, I don't know how many floaters he hit for the Celtics last year, but it was not like a consistent go-to shot for him. He was good when he was knocking down his three, and he was a pretty good playmaker. But just his ability to get into the lane – knock down as many floaters as he does, draw as many fouls as he does, I think it's just allowed this team to play small in a way that they couldn't before. And just I think it's probably the most surprising growth from an individual player um, for the Celtics. Like, I just did not know Derek White had this much just natural scoring to his game. Yeah, and, and when they were shorthanded, he was able to step up like that game in Milwaukee when, so many guys were missing. I think all all the stars were Robert Williams were missing. Were missing? Yeah. And Robert Williams played 13 minutes off the bench. And Derek White was the offense was in his hands. Like like they were having Derek White hunt people on the Bucks as late game offense. That was how it went. And he was capable of that. Um and I just think his confidence has grown. His 
ability to like now he knows how to exist. It was probably a shock for him coming from San Antonio where they really weren't very good at all to Boston, which was loaded with talent. Like, and he's a guy who naturally, like, I don't want to say he, he like wants to take a step back uh, compared to other people, but he's like, he's like willing to exist in the background. Um, yeah. He doesn't so need this, to get his. Yeah. So the Celtics kind of had to like force him or encourage him to be more aggressive. And you could hear that consistently from them throughout the second half of last season after they acquired him. It was like, Derek needs to be aggressive. We want Derek to be aggressive. Like, constant, constant, constant. And now it doesn't seem like they really have to tell him that much anymore. Um, He's just been really good, and he played all 82 games. He started way more games than they probably anticipated because Robert Williams missed so much time and because like they were just awesome with him in the starting lineup. Um, and like he can be your point guard when you need him to, he can play off the ball. He can be a connective piece that helps Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown with playmaking. He, he's an awesome defender who can guard a number of different positions and block shots like a much bigger player and always is seeming to contest shots, like constantly contesting shots. So just the the amount of different roles he was able to fill just by being a guy who can do a little bit of everything was huge for them as they dealt with so many guys being in and out of the lineup. Uh, part of that was like of their own accord, just sitting Al Horford for back-to-back, sitting Robert Williams for back-to-backs, resting guys occasionally. Um, and part of it was just injuries, but they went through a ton of different lineups and Derek White was always the constant his year, like, especially in a, for a team that kind of had most things set, like there weren't many big rotation changes. Malcolm Brogdon was the only real key addition. I guess Sam Hauser, you could count him too. Um, but a lot of it was like, you knew what to expect and Derek White's ability to climb to a different level, I think change what they can do and as long as he can sustain it through the playoffs which he hasn't done yet i still want to see him do it then it should really change how teams have to defend them in the playoffs and um just the the confidence they should have in different types of lineups because Derek white has been so so damn good Beyond Derek White, who do you think is the player who has improved the most this season compared to what the Celtics had last season? Sam Hauser. <laughs> Definitely. That's a Sam Hauser. Bullshit answer. A, Why is that a bullshit answer? He was in the G League. Season. He was in the G League. He existed. He was just in the G League. Um, and now he's potentially in line for playoff minutes. Like I wouldn't be surprised if Sam Hauser plays some in the playoffs. I don't think he'll have a huge playoff role, but he could certainly play some in the playoffs. Um, he shot above 40% again. It, it has to be Sandhouse. Okay. Uh, who's the second most improved then? Um, My so, thought was going to be Jalen Brown, and then I pulled up his basketball reference, and like it's kind of spooky how – similar his numbers are from the year before and in fact like a lot of the advanced numbers say he was better last year but but part of that is just he missed three pointers which 
like fine, whatever it happens. His efficiency numbers are up in general. Like yeah, I I would agree that that Jalen has definitely made progress. Uh, he's a better decision maker now. He did. It's crazy. Tur- the turnover numbers are the exact same, and like the assist numbers are the exact same, and so it's like this is a clearly a case where I just don't think the stats represent everything, but he just feels like he's better in decision-making, better passer, better, like not as turnover prone. Um, and it does feel like he, he's maybe not as hit as many three point shots, but is more efficient in, uh, in transition and making decisions in transition transition. And so it just feels like he's more, I guess, locked in and you said a better decision-maker. Um, even though the numbers don't necessarily bear out these like giant leaps in his game. Yeah. And we're like, uh, the other guy who crossed my mind was Jason Tatum. Um, like I did not think he had a great start to last season at all. <laughs> there were months uh, where he really struggled with his shot, kind of struggled with everything. As the Celtics asked a lot of him, we're trying to turn him and Jalen Brown into playmakers. Um, and he, he definitely had a lull after the All-Star break where his defense suffered. His He just wasn't – he was still putting up numbers, but it wasn't nearly as impactful. But from a full season standpoint, um, he was more in charge this year, I would say, on both ends of the court for the most – like that lull after the All-Star break was real. <laughs> like that happened. Um, but, yeah, it, like – it's been a weird season to cover because not much has really changed a whole lot. Like Robert Williams has been in and out of the lineup, but that, and that's been kind of a constant storyline, I guess, but like the same guys who were good last year are still good. <laughs> the Derek white and Malcolm Brogdon have been like the two, as Jason Tatum pointed out the other day, like the two difference makers, that make the Celtics feel like a different team than they were last year, even though a lot of the pieces are the same. You there, Packard? Yeah, but you, you just stopped talking. Yeah, that's normally when you just start talking. We're having a conversation here. This is how podcasting oh, I, I works. Thought I was listening, and I felt like you were going to go on a, a continued point. You didn't You didn't end in a natural, like, oh, now it's your turn to talk, Jam. Is, is our chemistry falling apart as the playoffs arrive? It might be. Maybe I'm just. Not Are we the Timberwolves? Two days in a row. So you know, I wasn't sure where, like, where you that you just ended and were waiting for me to talk. That's on me. I was looking at Jason Tatum's basketball reference page, and so maybe I was a little distracted there. Uh, he did finish with the thirty, averaging thirty per game, which is the first time a Celtics player has ever done that. And it does feel like his just like read of the game and feel for the game is uh, a little bit better. And he's the fact that he shot. Ended up 35% from three on nine threes a game, which is kind of wild just because how like seemingly inconsistent he's been. Um, but when I was talking about like the defense locking in before towards the end of the season, it really feels like they go as far as Jason Tatum is willing to take them, which is like not the most surprising thing in the world because just that kind of have feels how the NBA is. But when he's locked in on defense and he's your guy, especially I think this allows them to play smaller. Because when they play small, Jason Tatum is essentially your power forward. And they've had him guard centers a lot, like which is a, a fun tweak that I don't remember them doing last year. Maybe they did. Uh, 
Well, they didn't really but, need to because they had so many double big lineups. Exactly. And now they'll have him guard center sometimes while Horford plays like the old Robert Williams role of guarding a perimeter guy and kind of sagging off and helping in the middle, which is cool. And and it only works because Tatum can really rebound um, and he's tough enough and physical enough and dull enough to guard centers. But I think that's like one of the, the major changes is that like he him being able to be that physical and play defense at the level he does at his size it's like it doesn't feel like the team has a huge defensive downgrade when they do play smaller. It feels like they're able to play a little bit faster, maybe uh, have a little bit more ball pressure just by having Smart and White on the court and Jalen Brown. And so I think when Tatum's like really locked in, especially on the defensive end, that's when the Celtics can be at their best. And It's kind of crazy they finished first in defensive rebound. It's kind of insane, yeah. Like you just wouldn't think about that with a, with mentioning how many games Robert Williams missed. Like that's one of the most more outrageous things, and I think a lot of that has to do with Tatum and Jalen too. And Jalen both have increased their kind of defensive rebounding from last season. Tatum, I think this is the highest uh, rebounds he's ever gotten in his career, and if he, so, it's like a commitment from their probably all, to all NBA forwards to like, okay, if we're going to play small, we need both of these guys to very much commit on the defensive end, and that includes on the defensive glass. Yeah, they were, I mean, for them to finish first in defensive rebounding, I think as they started the season, I thought that might be an issue. <laughs> like, without Robert Williams for as, as many games as he was going to miss, um, I just thought they were going to play small, maybe be susceptible to that, and instead they led the league. Kind of crazy. Um, can, we, can we just talk about the ride that's been – the Joe Missoula era. I, th- I wasn't sure whether you're going with Missoula or Grant Williams. So. Either one, dealer's choice, because uh, both have been a, a bit of a roller coaster. Uh, but uh, let's start with, I guess let's start with Grant. We can finish off with, uh, with, with Joe Missoula. Grant came into this year and it was like, oh, he's been in the gym this offseason working on his bag. He's putting the ball on the ground. He's doing all sorts of things. Everyone was excited about Grant Williams. They're like, his extension, oh my God, this guy's going to get over 20 mil a year. He made seven threes in game seven, and now he can do all this stuff. And it seems like Grant started reading his own headlines maybe a little bit and started doing a little bit too much. And then he became like Celtics fans, like number one villain, trying to do too much, talking so much. A lot of more turnover prone, maybe not making the best decisions. And now I think he's just kind of like settled back into like, especially when the team's fully healthy, it's like, oh yeah, he's a solid role player that they'll definitely use in the playoffs for his like defensive versatility and his physicality. Uh, And I think he's just settled into the role where Celtics fans are now comfortable with the role that he has, but anything bigger than that, uh, People got very quickly frustrated with his, you know, just trying to do a little bit more than he was probably ready for. Yeah, and like honestly, <laughs> I don't think it was ever that bad. <laughs> like, like he, how many shots per game did he take? Six. <laughs> he took five point six last year. Um, how many twos per game did he take? Two point three. Like turnovers are up a little from last year, but so were assists. Uh, I 
It did feel like a roller coaster ride for Grant, though. Obviously, he fell out of the rotation for a little while. That was like huge news after what he'd done the previous season and what he did throughout the playoffs. Like he was huge against Kevin Durant. He was huge against Giannis. He was huge against Bam Adebayo. Like until the finals, he was really important for the Celtics during the playoffs last season. He had to go through a lot this year. Um, but like, we're right back to the postseason, right back to some matchups where the Celtics will probably need Grant Williams. It uh, was so- very, very funny when he had that those two foul shots to win the game and said he'll make both and missed both of them. Like, that was definitely the low point of Grant Williams' season. He also he had like a crazy little run there that was such a roller coaster because he missed those. And like because of, because he had said to Donovan Mitchell he was going to make a both it, he just became a laughing stock because of that. Um, and he then the game in a full Batman costume. That was this year. I don't remember. I think definitely think it was. I, I guess yeah, it probably was. Um, then like shortly after that, he had the huge offensive rebound against Minnesota, and then won the jump ball, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then like right after that was Utah. They are running a play to get a dribble handoff for Jason Tatum. And Grant says, nah, I'm going to the rim and just get stuffed by Walker Kessler with a chance to win the game. So it was like really a wild ride, especially for a little while uh, where Grant just always seemed to be the main character for the Celtics. And it was <laughs> he really went through a lot. Uh I still think at the end of the day, like he's very similar to the guy he was last season. They'll have matchups coming up where he'll probably be really important if they play Miami, like Bam out of bio. That's really good matchup for him. Jimmy Butler. He's very physical to guard Jimmy Butler. Uh if second round, Philly, yeah, and B Grant. We'll spend time on him, although he got crucified by Embiid during their last game. But if they play Giannis, same thing. So it's like it was a wild ride to get back to, I think, a, probably a similar place to where the Celtics were last season with him. Yeah, pretty much the exact same. Now he's a, like a very solid contributor off the bench who can give you physicality, can give you size, and can... Remember that stretch when he would just shoot it to like every time he touched the ball? Well, yeah, because like, he had to like fight for his role back in the, in the game. He's launching every single time, like fun. literally, literally every time. So it, it really has been a a wild, wild season for Grant. Williams. There was a couple games where he was getting DNPs, and then I was sitting next to you and go, "Grant Williams DNP tonight," and then we wait like ten minutes later, and you go, "Grant Williams DNP tonight," and it was uh, it was it was kind of wild. It just happened for no reason, and then he played like thirty five minutes the next night, um, which is just the decision of Joe Missoula. Uh, who? Speaking of a roller coaster, I just, I just, I still don't know where I stand with Joe Mazzulla or where he stands with me. To be uh, quite honest, um, came in had I had never heard the man speak a word before in my life. Um, you know, I liked all the winning at the start. I liked the Bazooka Joe uh, chewing all the gum, just chewing away on the sidelines. Uh, and then he just kind of started getting. Then he stopped chewing gum. Then he stopped chewing gum because he needed to focus on his breathing, which is a wild thing to say. 
Um, but that just like went with him being, I, I would, I don't know how to describe it other than actively combative with the media. Um, that was kind of weird. I don't like, and it was like some people saying, "Oh, that's just his personality." Some people saying, "Oh, no, he's kind of doing a bit. He's just doing it to amuse himself." Uh, that's just like how he is. I don't know. I still don't know what the answer is with Joe Mazzula. I just know that he's an super intense dude. A, clearly a, a very good coach uh, and focuses on and has the Celtics playing good basketball. And, and I don't know, he seems to parrot a lot of the things that Brad Stevens would focus on in terms of mindset, in terms of controlling what you can control. But I still have no idea what's going on in that guy's brain. And um, if you could help the, me and the listener gods just figure out or just describe your experience covering Missoula this year, uh, I think that'd be tremendously beneficial. Yeah, I think like some of the stuff that he took heat for, including not calling timeouts, um, was just part of his approach that he wanted to take this season, which was basically make the players figure it out and force them to go through stuff, good and bad, and problem solve at the end of the day. And I think he did that really well. Um like it's hard to overstate how difficult a situation that was when he walked into it where the emotions were just so raw and everybody was just really hurt by what happened with Udoka. And days before the Eastern Conference Championship defense, like the run to get back to the finals was set to start. Like there goes their leader. He's gone. And as we learned later, and as we figured out at the, as we figured at the time, Ime wasn't coming back. And so, it, like, it was really a crazy, crazy, crazy way to start a season, and a crazy way for Joe Mazzulla to start his head coaching career. And his ability to navigate that was super impressive, both with the coaching staff and with the players, uh, to keep everyone on the same page. That's been like one of the themes of this Celtic season, I think, is that they have a lot of guys who are willing to put aside their own egos and their own goals for the team. Like you look at Malcolm Brogdon, literally did not start a single game all season. They would not start him no matter what. And his minutes were super limited. He never complained. And in fact, like seemed to really enjoy being part of the group. Um, Blake Griffin, like, has made all NBA teams before, has made a ton of all-star teams, was one of the best players in the world for a long time. He shows up. They don't always play him, start him sometimes, don't play him at all other times. He was just bought in. Um, Even Peyton Pritchard. Yeah, even Peyton Pritchard, like, he he was open about wanting a bigger role. And he was open for a while. Like, (laughs) he would not have minded being moved at the deadline. But at the same time, like, just never let that impact the way he approached the game, the way he approached the team, the way – He prepared for games uh, and especially earlier in the season, like had some 
really good games when they needed a spark and Pritchard came in and, and really helped them out, helped them win some games. So just like from top to bottom, it was a team that really, really bought in. And I think Missoula deserves a lot of credit for that. Obviously that only happens if you have the right people in the locker room, but he did a great job on all the macro things. I would say that some of the micro stuff you could definitely nitpick like Jason Tatum. Did he finish second in the league in minutes per game? I think he did. Uh, but that was like, why? <laughs> like, why do you keep playing him so many minutes when you, when he burnt out in the finals last year and you knew that he should not be playing as many more minutes? Like why? Um, some of the late game plays that just always seem to be the same, <laughs> like the I mean, same play for Jason Tatum every time. You could absolutely you pick that. To fix it if it worked in Cleveland and it worked in uh, Philadelphia. It did work. Probably I don't know if more often than not is right, but it worked pretty frequently considering how little time they had when they normally ran it. But sometimes it didn't work, uh, and I think in the playoffs, like, probably should try something else. But like his biggest thing was he wanted to build a balanced team. They were second in offense, second in defense without Robert Williams for 47 games, not 55, as I thought earlier. And like everyone respects him. Everyone seems to listen to him. Everyone is bought in. So I think he did a really good job in a really difficult situation with a lot of expectation, a lot of pressure. And he's 34 years old, which is crazy. <laughs> like how young he is. He was strapping a ping pong paddle to Romeo Langford's hand. <laughs> no, no more than like three years ago. He was coaching division two. That was his only previous head coaching experience. So considering all that, he did an absolutely incredible job. And, Kind of insane decision by Brad Stevens to like go with Missoula once the email thing happens. Like, well, Will Hardy had already bounced. He would have probably been the other option. Like, I guess there's not a lot of other guys on the roster with head coaching experience. Yeah, could have been Ben Solomon, an outside person, but just be like, nope, Joe's the guy. But they've always they've always valued Joe highly. like when Ime Odoka turned over most of the staff, Joe stayed. And that must have been Brad telling Ime, like, this guy is going to be really useful to you. And he proved useful, obviously, last season. He's proven useful this season. Um, but, yeah, just uh, <laughs> such a wild start to your head coaching career. Just to be tossed into into duty, like days before training camp begins, like he really just had to on the fly decide everything he was going to do. Decide to create sandcastles every day. <laughs> Does he still do the sandcastles? I feel like we sh- you should have followed uh, followed up with him if they. I haven't him. asked anybody if he still does sandcastle stuff. That's a huge failure on my part. But I would assume he still does Sandcastle stuff. He was big like into a, Sandcastles. A, a message you can't get away from once you say you establish that every day you got to show up and build a new Sandcastle. Like you can't two-thirds of the way through the season, you're like, oh, that's 
it's kind of a dumb gimmick because it goes against the entire idea of building a sandcastle. This is true, yeah. What was your favorite Noah Vonley moment of this year? <laughs> what a question. Um, I would have to say that just opening opening night, he was the first sub on the opening night, right, <laughs> against Philly? Like what, a, what a shock that was. Here comes Noah Vonley, six man. Obviously, that didn't last too long, I think. I liked when he would commit an offensive foul immediately upon checking in. That was my favorite Noah Vonley thing he did. It was just immediately a legal screen. But not only just right away. It was like right away and then again two minutes later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he was consistent. Yeah, the, the, that was probably another micro mistake by Joe Mazzula, like trusting Noah Vonley as much as he did early on. Luke Cornett was sitting right there doing nothing at that time, just sitting on the bench. Probably being funny. And uh, he was clearly a better option for those minutes, but took a while for the Celtics to get to Luke Cornett and Blake Griffin as the right options. Didn't take too long, but it took a little while. Um, what do you think <laughs> the best win of the season was? I wasn't prepared for the Noah Vonley question. The best win of the season. Uh, I had a, initially, when I, I had an idea for this podcast, where we would go through every single game and I would ask you your thoughts on every single game, but I thought that'd be too ridiculous. That would have been way too much. The best win of the season. Is it 41 points against the Bucks a couple weeks ago? I mean, that was like, not really. The The Bucks were not good that night. Like they the just Sixers won. win with Jason Tatum at the buzzer and Embiid also hitting a shot? At no, because the, the Celtics didn't play great that night. Um, I'm Did trying they have to think. Any good wins? Yeah, they they had a number of good wins. Obviously, the 41 point win against maybe the the shellacking of Phoenix was the best they played to to move to 21 and five. That was they just ruined Phoenix in Phoenix. Uh, beating the Sixers without uh Marcus Smart and uh. Robert Williams was a pretty good win, I think, in February, where um, they had some guys out, but they still played well together. I don't know. I'm looking at the game log right now, and nothing is, like, sticking out. It's like, that's the signal. Milwaukee on Christmas Day was a really good win. Okay, what was the worst loss of the season? Golden State was probably the one that they took the most meaning from when they beat Golden State at home. That was a super ugly game, though. And they just, like, barely stitched it together to win. The Lakers win in overtime was definitely a fun game, but I will remember that more for the LeBron temper tantrum and Pat Bev showing the camera. Yeah, that was absurd. What a, what a moment that was. <laughs> uh, do you want to do a potable six-pack of, of moments from the season? Uh, I do. I'm not prepared for it. but I'm not prepared at all either. This is on a whim right now. On a whim. All right, who goes first? Uh, you can go first. First draft pick for just all moments of the season. Oh, any wow. moment you can pick a game. You can pick whatever you want. Just draft something. I just mentioned it, but the Jason Tatum buzzer beater on the play we all knew was coming because we saw them line up that way, and then Doc Rivers called a timeout, and we're like, "Oh, they're running that play." Jason Tatum hits it. 
Then Joel Embiid hits a full court heave, but it was clearly too late. And it was like an emotional confetti game. That was just fantastic. That was just a, a amazing end to a game that just was like pure delight for me as a Celtics fan. So that's going to be my number one pick, mostly because I didn't have to do any thinking uh, to think about it. That's a pretty good one. Um, I don't, I don't want to make this my pick, but it's like it's standing out to me, and it's not like it wasn't a super important moment, but. No, I'm not even going to go with that. <laughs> I was I was going to say Tatum's 50-point outing against Charlotte because it was just so absurd. It was like he was gunning for 50 at the end of a game where it was just like in the bag already. You want to know he's pretty upset And then he that? said Jamal Crawford was the reason why he did it, which is awesome. I spoke with one... I'll say anonymous assistant coach on the Charlotte Hornets after that game. And he was pretty upset that uh, someone was just gunning for 50 points after they were up by 30. Uh, Yeah, that was one of the most absurd parts of the season. And then for it to be driven by Jamal Crawford just cracked me up. That was hilarious. Um, I mean, it's unoriginal because you already brought it up. But the 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 end of that Lakers game was the funniest fucking thing in the world. I got to pick it. I got to pick it. LeBron just losing his mind on the court like he had just lost a loved one right in front of his eyes. <laughs> Patrick Beverly going over and grabbing the camera. It was just magical theater, just incredible theater. So that's my pick. Uh, I get another pick too, so. No, you just you, oh, I guess you're you're not taking Jason Tatum's fifty pointer. No, no, I'm I'm leaving. Actually, I'll go with Tatum's fifty. Fuck it, fuck it. The uh, it was so funny, man. Just hilarious. And I mean, nobody will remember it one day, but I remember it now, and it was really funny. That's fair. Um, I'm gonna go with a recent game, um, against the Jazz. And it's probably more memorable for what happened in the bleachers, at least to me. And it's probably just recency bias. But there was some extra juice in that uh, in that arena, in TD Garden that night. But first, someone vomited and cleared out three rows of stands. Then a drunk woman uh, tried to approach Jason Tatum while he was riding the exercise bike. And she had to be escorted out. Then Blake Griffin got in the game and he was just all sorts of like pissed off and playing like an absolute maniac. And you could just tell at some point him and Taylor and Horton Tucker were going to get into a fight. And then Chris Dunn just randomly got ejected. And we were sitting <laughs> sitting directly behind uh, David Locke uh, of the Lockdown Sports Network and Jazz play-by-play guy who was <laughs> yeah. slamming the table and was furious with the calls. It was just one of the most raucous environments I've been in in a while for the most random night against the Utah Jazz where, like, they weren't even trying. None of their good players were playing. But for some reason, TD Garden had the juice that night. And so that's what I'm going with for my uh, second pick in the potable six-pack. That's that's a good one. You get you get another one before yeah, I finish. The entire time I was trying to figure out uh, to stall to try to come up with another... I, I have a hilarious one that I think only I'm going to enjoy for my last pick. 
Okay, I my next pick, I'm sure I'm blanking on so many things right now. Um I think it was the early on in the season in New York where the Celtics made I think it was what, like twenty eight or twenty seven threes. And it was just like, holy crap, no one is gonna be able to stop this team ever launch more threes. Like I feel like I always make the joke is like they should attempt fifty threes. They attempted fifty one threes and made twenty seven of them. And I was just like, oh my God, this is the best offense in the history of time. And so I'm just going to select a moment from that time. And Noah Vonley led the team with seven rebounds that night. Well, there you go. I didn't remember the Noah Vonley. I do remember them just no one could miss from three. And so that's going to be my uh, third pick in the six pack. My, <laughs> my last pick is when Dayron Sharp just absolutely short-circuited. <laughs> while guarding Al Horford on an inbounds play and just like he just stopped playing <laughs> he like literally he had no clue that Al Horford was standing in the corner he had no clue Al Horford cut the ball he did not realize Al Horford had scored until the ball went through the hoop that his own man had scored and that Al Horford who finished with one of the best three-point percentages in the NBA was getting the ball and ruining him and making him look so fucking stupid. Um, (laughs) uh, As I thought through the season, that was one of the things that came to me. And it was glorious. It was magical. It was just an incredible moment. Yeah, And it was in a 43-point game. (laughs) So I was looking looking for stuff that was just entertaining at that point. Yeah, a lot of the things that, like, stick out to me are, like, bad losses or like all the overtime losses like they they had so many overtimes seven overtime losses the one against the knicks where i was just looking at grant williams game log he played 79 games this year one he missed a random Cavs game earlier in the year and then was a dnp for the other two and then played everything else but in that game against the knicks he played 44 minutes and just like didn't come out in overtime and for some reason that game really sticks out to me because they gave up a huge lead after giving up a giant lead to the Nets like the day before or the uh, earlier in the week and then had an amazing comeback and then just no adjustments made during overtime. Definitely not potable six-pack worthy, but like in thinking back on the season, for some reason that overtime loss to the Knicks really sticks out in my head. The loss to Houston was also hilarious. Oh, because yeah. like the, 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 the Rockets. The loss to OKC was pretty funny when they gave up 150 points to the Thunder. Yeah, that was wild. That was a wild scene. But Houston, like, the Thunder just touched God that night. They, like, they were they were incredible. They, they were awesome. And the Celtics sucked. But Houston was just terrible. <laughs> Houston was not good, and the Celtics still didn't beat them. That was what was funny about that one. And, and uh, honorable mention, if we're talking about bad moments, uh, just any time they played the Magic. Uh, the Magic just dominated them this year. Uh, the Celtics were held under 100 points eight times, twice by the Orlando Magic this year. This year Orlando just dominated the Celtics. You could not score on the Orlando Magic, and I think that's another theme of the season is just that they might be the second best team in the East, but in the playoffs, I think the Magic would be favored. I I think you're right. I mean, how do you stop two Wagner's? Can't be done in the playoffs. Has never been done in the playoffs. That is true. 
Uh, <laughs> what, does anything else stand out to you about this season? We haven't even talked about so much. Like we've barely even brought up Marcus Smart, who is really important to the Celtics guys. Um, we haven't talked about Al Horford. His, we haven't talked about Al Horford shooting forty five percent from three and just still being an insanely good defender and just like very important to the team. Like they, they, both of them just feel like constants where it's like, oh yeah, if the Celtics are playing well, both of those guys are going to have just like be very solid and, and like contribute what they need to contribute. But like Al Horford, just a solid, uh, I guess his lowest point total ever average per game, uh, dipped below 10 for the first time in his entire career. But it was just like very solid Al Horford performance. Oh, he also shot 45% from three this year, which is insane. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good for a center, especially a center who did not shoot threes for a long time in his career. And then wasn't really comfortable shooting threes. Now the Celtics have, like, against the right matchups, they'll have him come off screens and shoot threes. Which is insane. Yeah, no, Crazy. his effective field goal percentage, because he shoots so many threes, is 63%, which is by far the highest of his, his career ever. It was a stupid game. Uh, because it was basically meaningless. But when he and Robert Williams started together against the Raptors in the first game against the Raptors in, like, the last week, the defense was just amazing. <laughs> like, that was that was unreal. I was watching the tape, like, I don't even know what the Raptors were supposed to do. Just Al Horford and Robert Williams were going to block every single fucking thing they tried no matter what. They had no chance of scoring. And they're not a great offense, especially in the half court. But, like, that was just dominant defense and makes you think the Celtics still have their fastball ready on that end of the court, even though this wasn't, like, a super consistent defensive season. I know they finished second and everything like that. Wasn't a super consistent defensive season, but, like, they can still bring it when they want to. And that they wanted to that night for whatever reason. Like, they were... Wow, that, that was eye-opening stuff. They were super locked in, and as they should be headed into the playoffs. I've I've run out of things to say about the 2022-2023 Boston We, we got to talk about Luke Cornett's uh, celebrations. Oh, celebrations and just his general whimsy for it. I should have mentioned that in my potable six-pack. Anytime Luke Cornett did anything hilarious. Which was all the time. I mean. Which is any reaction he had to a dunk. He usually – he's a fantastic mime. Um, I didn't realize this about him. I did predict he would have two double-doubles by Christmas. I was incorrect. But the amount of pantomiming he does after a celebration. Oh, and the cornet contest. It's a shame we would have not brought that up. What a wild thing just to to do with confidence. I just respect the hell out of Luke Cornette being like, I'm going to look like a goddamn fool. But I believe in the process right now. I think it's going to mess with people's shooting and what they're looking at. And so I'm going to jump. Uh, wildly and with no chance of disrupting the shot. But you know what? It's going to disrupt the shot because I'm Luke Cornette and I've thought about it all. So props to, props to Luke Cornette for just having the, the conviction to, to jump when no one's watching or jump when everyone's watching, actually. Do you know who's never been fooled by the Cornette contest? Bruno motherfucking Bruno Fernando. Fernando. He grew up when it, he was there. When it was developed. Cornette tried it, and Fernando just said, I'm not shooting. I'm going to go get an M1. And he did. Was Was Fernando on the team this year, or was it only last year? No. 
it was he was not on the team this year. He was uh, traded at the deadline last year, right? With uh, who else was it? For to, Derek White or in the Josh Richardson? No, it was like the the bull bull trade, right? Or am I? You tell me, man. I have no idea when Bruno left us. I just remember he was there for a while. I don't remember when Bruno left. Was it? It might have been the the bull bull trade. Sure. The NS the NS Freedom trade. I don't know. I'm yeah, sorry. they they traded Fernando and NS Freedom for Daniel Tice. Oh, I forgot about Tice. How could uh, you forget about Daniel Tice? Good thing that they don't need. It's wild how much last year in the playoffs they relied on Daniel Tice when Robert Williams was hurt. If Robert yeah. Williams could just play in the playoffs and like play every game and play twenty to thirty minutes every game, they're just going to be so much better and more consistent. Like on the offensive end, it's just one would Tice think huge minutes last year in Eastern Conference semifinals and the Eastern Conference finals. And in the finals, it's wild. <laughs> Tice was pretty good, though. Tice was pretty he good. I'm, I'm, he was very much. I'm not going to take a shot at, on the court. At I'm the Tice biggest right Tice now. defender there is. It wasn't good moments of Daniel Tice. Wasn't great when he was guarding Steph Curry, or like in the action against Steph Curry. That wasn't wasn't ideal. Not great. Um. Okay. Do we have any callers or anything? Or are we um or are we good to wrap it up? Let's wrap it up. We'll we'll do callers tomorrow. After, All right, we'll be back uh, after the Heat and Hawks play tomorrow. Quick prediction: Who do you think wins? The Heat, definitely. I definitely think the Heat win as well, and I want the Heat. You want to know why? I want the Celtics to end Udonis Haslam's career. I want it to be in Miami, and I want him to go out on a sweep. That's what I want for the Boston Celtics first round. So everyone, you should be rooting for the Heat. Because it does not matter who the Celtics play in the first round. If they want to win a championship, they should be able to decimate the Heat or the Hawks. I want to end Udonis Haslam's career. So I'll be rooting for the Heat tomorrow night. Um, I also think they win. Thank you guys for listening to this show. Please rate and subscribe on iTunes. Do everything that podcast hosts tell you to do. I'm one of those podcast hosts. I'm Sam Jam Packard. He's the kid, the god, the legend, Jay King. Thank you for listening to this episode of 